Happy New Year. Welcome back. Thank you for uh, joining us. We're glad that we've made it out of 2020, putting 2020 in the past. We're into 2021. Welcome back to the episode of the Shula Bowl podcast, as always brought to you by the fine folks at Five Reason Sports. You can find them on Twitter at number five reason sports, and you can find this podcast on Twitter at Shula Bowl pod. It is January 5th. We are almost a week into the new year. A lot of coaching changes as far as FAU and FIU are concerned, but we're going to start with catching you up. We know it's been a little while since the three of us have been on the air. The last episode you heard was our uh, chat with Larry Bluestein. That was Shane and I. David missed that one because he was out you know, with the family in Tennessee. Uh, that one got a lot of positive reviews. So we want to thank you for your positive feedback. And we'll try to do more stuff like that throughout the offseason as we know we've got another six, seven months until we really can start ramping things up and looking forward to the 2021 season. So in the meantime... We're going to kind of share our lives with you where we are one week into uh, 2021. We've got Mr. David Hondel on the line as, as uh, uh, our FIU super fan who has uh, been everywhere but South Florida over the past month. Uh, he was in Tennessee with his uh, his girlfriend's family, and now he is Shane. I don't know if you know, like, the Homer Simpson meme where he's laughing, he's got all the jewelry on, and is like, bathed in, like, gold <laughs> coins. That's David right now. Like, he's just somewhere at, at a timeshare and an Incline Village, Nevada, is, is the location I have for David right now. So he just, he is. Are you in Vegas? Old. No. I'll jump in. Go for it. Well, no, listen, I'm not in Vegas, but I am about, you know, a 30 second walk from a casino. Because <laughs> uh, they're probably, at, they're at every, they're at every corner here. But yeah, I'm here no. at Incline Village, three hours behind everybody. Uh, I'm still, still working. Working uh, my days are long, but uh, you know, it's been fun. <laughs> uh, I'm going to toss to Mr. Shane Marinelli. Well, the last time I saw him, we were indulging in a uh, undisclosed location of Fort Lauderdale, just uh, pounding back. Well, what were we drinking? Uh, a Bud Light? I can't remember what the hell we were drinking, but it was a fun day of watching football. I know Shane's a little bit miffed with me. He felt that I, uh, I I I, uh, I left a man stranded, which you never do to the crew. But uh, I I, yeah, I didn't have. To I was trying warning. to continue the Sunday fun day. <laughs> <laughs> so David, just to kind of fill you in uh, on just how this you know works with Shane, uh, I've like now figured out like who Shane is as like a friend. He's that guy. He's like, yeah, man, we'll go and we'll have you know a beer or two and some wings and watch a game. And then you're like two no with three buckets. We're three buckets in. And it's like, uh, yeah, yo, man, you want to keep us going? And it's like Shane. Like, I, I, if I had fair warning, we could have made it happen. And Shane hit me with the total guilt trip as the Uber is coming to pick him up. He's like, bro, you're leaving me stranded. I'm like, look, man, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. So next time, there'll be a full shulable pod, like, get together, and we'll, uh, we'll make it happen. Does that sound reasonable, you know, Shane? I, I still went out that night, still made it down Los Olas, met with other people, still, uh, and regretted it dearly on Monday. I, I exactly I had to get all the way back to Doral so you know I'm sure the South Floridians listening to this episode will understand trying to get from a uh, bow campers in Fort Lauderdale to Doral is a especially for those of us who are not from South Florida it's a bit of a trek as is but uh without further ado we will jump you in into what we are uh, kind of having a catch-up episode as I mentioned there have been quite a few coaching changes with both FAU and FIU the past couple podcasts we've started with FAU so David I'm going to come to you first and I will lead the way with the major news that has come on since the end of the year is that offensive coordinator Rich Skrosky, the veteran offensive coordinator, uh, was entering his 
Uh, I've been there the same amount of time Butch Davis has entering his fourth year. This would have been his, his fifth season with FIU. He has been relieved of his duties. Uh, F, FIU at the time uh, of this recording still don't have a offensive coordinator. That search is still ongoing. We may get into a name or two that maybe fans may like or may want. Uh, there are no names that, quite frankly, I have heard. I just am kind of, you know, kind of keeping my ear to the ground and seeing what may be out there. But that is the situation, along with defensive line coach Kennard Lang, uh, left. I, I, from what I heard, he left the program to, it was on his own accord, left the program to take a high school coaching job at his alma mater in Orlando, Maynard Evans High School. So the coaching changes there. Just a quick rundown of Rich Skrosky in his four years at FIU. Things kind of, you know, really went, I guess if you want to look at the offensive perspective, we're trending in the wrong direction. In 2017, they scored, they averaged, excuse me, 25.6 points per game, which is good enough for 86th in the nation. In 2018, that average jumped up to 34.6. As we know, they led Conference USA in scoring the nine-win Bahamas Bowl year. Tracked to 2019, that average went to 26.5, 83rd in the nation. And this year, as we all know, is a bit abysmal. Average 22.4 points per game, which, believe it or not, is actually seven points higher. If my quick math is correct, I, I, I believe it was seven points higher than what FAU averaged. I believe FAU averaged 19 points. Maybe it was 15 points per game. I'll go back and check that when we go to the FAU coordinating changes. But, David, I want to give you the floor before I chime in. Just your thoughts on both uh, offensive corner Rich Skrosky and defensive line coach Kennard Lang being no longer with the program. Um, yeah, I mean, you kind of just said it best for Strosky. You know, it was he was kind of declining. Um, you know, he had a few good years with, you know, Morgan Magoo. But this year, the offense really, really did struggle. So it didn't come as much of a shock to me. Um, you know, I, I was actually I'm, the only thing that shocked me more was that I thought that we'd see a defensive change first as opposed to Strosky just because of, you know, his at least he's had. But um, I personally, I thought it was time to move on. Um, the offense kind of was really stagnant this year and, and predictable. And, and you know, there were no adjustments really made to, you know, the different quarterbacks that we had. So there's just a few things uh, that I think went in. You know, he's going to land on his feet. Time to move on. Um, and it didn't really come to much of a surprise. And neither did the, the Lang one, you know. Those who are watching fight football for the past years know that um, while I do think the line semi-improved this year, um, it's probably been one of the – that also doesn't really come too much of a shock to me. Yeah, so I'll just go ahead and give my quick thoughts on the Rich Skrosky situation. You know, those who listen to this podcast know that I've had a chance to talk with Coach Skrosky one-on-one a couple times over the now three years I've been covering FIU. And here's the thing with this offense. You know, it's one that – Here's the, the the thing that I think FIU fans have to realize. It's one that revitalized the careers of Alex Magoo and James Morgan. It's one that is really well-respected by NFL scouts and one that uh, both quarterbacks, whether it's Magoo or Morgan, having spoken to them, said that they felt that they would have not been as prepared for the NFL in terms of the draft process and meeting with scouts and getting up there on the board and doing the things that you need to do in order to get drafted they feel that they would not have been able to do that as adequately without being in Rich Skrosky's system. And they've also recruited quarterbacks for that system. We know Stone Norton is no longer with the program, but Hayden Carlson was one who was recruited for that system. And we'll see how it goes. Now, of course, on the field, that's a bit of a different matter than can you teach quarterbacks and get them to the NFL, right? And Coach Skrosky has a history going back to Keith Wedding at Ball State. 
of getting guys drafted and getting them in, in the NFL. But in terms of at the college level, we know that this is an offense, and I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. I don't think I'm telling anything that Coach Grosky wouldn't want me to tell. It's run. It's one that is run very much through the quarterback. And I know fans at home may be listening and say, wasn't that every college offense? And to an extent, yes, that is the case. However, this is one that's really predicated on the quarterback being able to have a certain amount of knowledge pre-snap of what's going on and kind of get your your offense out of bad situations and into good ones. And of course, again, that's a skill that you probably want all quarterbacks to have. But I just think the reason I'm emphasizing this is you see when you have a veteran like Alex Magoo, when you have a veteran like James Morgan who started a, a bunch of football games, they were able to kind of, you know, really slide that offense and, and, and make it work for them. Whereas when you had the situation with younger quarterbacks like Stone Norton or Kalen Wiggins or even a Max Bordenschlager who may not be young in terms of his class, but it only started nine or ten games at, at, uh, at Maryland before transferring to FIU. And then, of course, coming into it with the wonky year in terms of COVID-19 and the amount of reps. It's not one that you can kind of plug and play, for lack of a better term. And I'm not saying that FIU is a dumb down the offense. But uh, this is one that just was really heavily predicated on the quarterback. And we saw without that situation, without that, that position being in place, how it kind of affected things. So we'll see that. And the one other thing that I want to touch on really quick before I toss it back to David, and then we'll uh, kind of, you know, go around the horn and forget to FAU is this. Rich Grosky's system in terms of the run game is one thing that I think FIU fans need to go and pay attention to. His scheme, and I, and I, I did a, a piece, this isn't just a plug for my own writing, but I did a piece in the offseason, and I also talked about uh, with former offensive line coach Alan Mogridge. I've talked with former GA Steven Siochi. In terms of how the blocking scheme is, it is one that pr- is really, really predicated on moving forward. What I mean by that is this. In Rich Skrowski's offense, a zero-yard gain is, is just as good in, in some cases as you know uh, a one- or two- or three-yard game. It's a matter of staying on schedule. Again, I know some fans are rolling their eyes at me and saying, isn't that every offense? But yes, essentially what I'm saying is the way the game is called and the way that that Coach Grosky would coach, whether it's the run game and the, and the plays that were called and, and the offense as a whole, it's that everything is predicated with staying on schedule. You can see that throughout the entire time with the past two years. It's the you know runs that you can kind of almost tell which direction they're going. It's because they aren't necessarily designed for big plays. Now, of course, with Devontae Price was able to break some of those plays for long gains. They're designed to keep the offense moving forward and set up those bigger plays. So that may have been the downfall of the offense this year, and we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, David, really quick, I, I want to ask you this uh, on the just in terms of from a fan's perspective, what would you like to see? Just ideally, you know, you are the, the voice of the fan here on this podcast. What are you looking for? You know, we have athletes. We know that Jeremiah Holloman and guys like that aren't on the team anymore. But when you have a Devontae Price who's made the decision to come back, uh, we'll see what the rest of the running back room will look like with Sean Peterson's injury, but Flex Joseph, Chris Mitchell, Nate Jefferson, you know, uh, um, Artez Hooker, the young freshman coming in. What do you want to see in terms of your offense as far as getting those guys and the playmakers, you know, the hands in the end, the ball in their hands, I should say. Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm hoping that, you know, brings back spread uh, that years back. Uh, um, David, football. it's even worse. Oh. Fuck. Oh, you guys might have to do this. I lost connection. Fuck. You're still here. Yes. See if you, see if you at least finish up that answer. Um, and then, uh, and then we'll just, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll toss it to Shane. Okay. All right. Here, here, here goes nothing. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so something possibly like a spread or a run and gun type offense, something to get the ball in our playmakers' hands. That my biggest pro- problem with Strasky toward the end is that everything got so predictable and everything was like you said, um, you know, short gains. Uh, it wasn't a big play offense, and I feel that in college you kind of need those big plays and you kind of need like the ball in your dynamic playmaker's hands. You just just need a spread out offense. Those are the offenses that I think succeed the most. Okay, so with that being said, we're going to go ahead and transition really quick. Uh, uh, Shane, before I go to FAU, I do want to ask you this, you know, and and I know it's not like you're sitting there watching a ton of FIU football, but you're one who's had plenty of thoughts on whether it's coordinators throughout college football and uh, things of that nature. Just what are kind of your thoughts on just kind of, Maybe not FIU in specificity, but really the CUSA landscape as far as a lot of coordinators changing, uh, both on the offensive and defensive side. Well, yeah, you and I talk a lot of this on the pod, and I kind of want to mention, you know, in FIU's case, yeah, and kind of what you want to see in an offense. Um, and FIU's a little bit in this situation too. I don't. I think it's so difficult, especially with the portal now and guys coming and going. I don't. I think you need to have an offense that isn't so quarterback dependent. Sure. Uh, you know what I mean. We're we're something theoretically you could build a really good conference USA offense around a Chris Reynolds or an Astro Hair type, right? You know, even for FAU's program, I'm going to explain this. It's not every day a Chris Robinson rolls through your program, right? We have that type of arm. Um, you know, things will change a little bit. I think I, I'm of the belief that. Group of five schools shouldn't take quarterbacks really even at high school anymore. Just wait till a four-star transfers after one year, which they all seem, you know, seem to do. Sure. Uh, you know, so you definitely in get kids with four years of eligibility that were four stars just a year ago, as opposed to taking a three, you know, a little three-star out of high school. So, but maybe just, you know, an offense isn't so quarterback dependent. And, you know, when I say that, you know, look at the way kind of the, the Baylor teams have run their offense uh, you know, to kind of it, it appears to be running gun and spread and stuff. But when you look at it, they really run the ball 65% of the time. So again, you know, I just thought FIU's offense was too pro style. Uh, and I just think, especially at this level, yeah, at the G five level for the talent and stuff you're recruiting, you, you get, you gotta be, you got to reflect a little bit more what the high schools are running. I mean, there's only a few schools and Alabama doesn't even run a pro style anymore. Even Saban had to adjust to that thinking, you know, and they have the best players in the country where they can just pretty much, you know, if Alabama decided to run the triple option tomorrow, they'd be excellent at it. So, you know, that's just kind of my thought on it. You know, where you don't need an NFL type quarterback to win nine games conference USA. No, Shane, I'll piggyback up where, you know, you leave off right there and kind of say, I don't want to necessarily get into, quote unquote, my opinion of what the offense should look like. But you make a great point in the sense that offenses ideally at this level. And I like I'm really happy that you specified the group of five level. You may not always get that quarterback, as you mentioned, a Chris Chris Robinson, who's going to drop down from Oklahoma. Now, of course, if you can get one from the portal, that's great. But in the event that for a year or two, you don't have that talented four-star guy. Even people forget James Morgan coming out of high school was a borderline four-star four-star quarterback. 
Uh, I know Alex Magoo very well from his time at Gaither High School. He was a very talented quarterback as well. So sometimes it's not to say that the guys who were who were in the offense this year weren't talented, but if it takes them a little longer to kind of you know get accustomed and developed in a situation where you have a rough offseason, you want to have an offense where you can kind of plug and play, for lack of a better phrase. I know that, that sounds dirty, but look at Chris Reynolds or Asher O'Hara, as you mentioned, at Charlotte, Middle Tennessee. Those are guys who, while very talented players who can propel that offense to the next level, it's not necessarily predicated on them. And I'll even, this may give me shade from the UCF crowd, but if you look at Mackenzie Milton, Dylan Gabriel, two, once again, very talented quarterbacks, but some of the things that the offense allows them to do, get the ball in the playmaker's hands at a lower level G5, look at Arkansas State, whether it's been Logan Bonner or Lane Hatcher, they rotated guys this year for damn near the entire year, both of whom had uh, you know, a fair amount of success. So that's something that I think that FIU fans will definitely want to be looking forward and want to keep an eye on who they get in terms of the offensive situation. And one thing David did say as well is maybe this is the, the shock and surprise, uh, or, or I, mean, I shouldn't say shock, but maybe some FIU fans were looking at the, the defensive coordinator as a, as a position that may change. That's one that, quite frankly, when Jeff Kopp did his introductory press conference, he said that, you know, the, the defense is going to have, quote unquote, Butch Davis fundamentals, what you expect from a Butch Davis defense, right? To read in between the lines of that quote, now a few years removed from it, I think one can say that, you know, Butch Davis has his hand in the defense. And I, that's maybe that's the reason why you didn't see the change there. So we'll have to see how that plays out. And, you know, once again, as far as the offense goes, you got to remember everyone at FIU is on a one-year contract now. So, yeah, I don't think you're going to see a, a coordinator is going to come in who doesn't align with Butch Davis's vision of what he wants with the offense. So keep that in mind for all FIU fans. And the last thing I'll say before we transition to FAU is I know there was some chatter on Twitter about the frustration, you know, maybe towards Rich Skrosky in terms of his handling of the quarterbacks. I, I'm not saying this to denigrate any of the FIU fans' opinions. I, I just, you know, I know I've written this, but maybe I should make it clear on the podcast. If there's anyone out there who believes that Rich Skrosky was the determining factor in which quarterback was, be, was being trotted out there on Saturday, I'm here to dispel that notion right now. That was Butch Davis and Butch Davis alone. Butch Davis, he even told us, you know, prior to the, uh, or not prior to, following the Florida Atlantic game that, you know, he wanted to go in and give Max Bortenschlager a little bit of run. And that's why Stone Norton didn't see the entire game. So, you know, he said, I went to Rich and said, hey, can we go to Max? So for anyone out there who felt that the handling of the quarterback was a Rich Grosky thing, I can tell you right now, uh, the coaching of them was. But in terms of who saw the field on game day, uh, you know who that was. Uh, that's the head man on the door, and that's Butch Davis. But we will transition to FAU. A couple coordinator changes as well, Shane. You know, uh, the, the Jerron Fairman and Clint Trickett. Jerron Fairman uh, spent some time as a tight ends coach and was a special teams coordinator at FAU. Both uh, both Fairman and Clint Trickett were Lane Kiffin hires who were holdovers from that administration. Willie Taggart chose to dismiss both of those guys. I want to go and pull up those numbers really quicker before I tee it back up to Shane. I, I want to make sure I get those numbers correct as far as what FAU's offense was. I believe they were ranked 115th in the nation in points uh, points per game offensively. I want to get that exact number here. They had, yeah, they averaged 19 points, a shade under 19, 18.9 points per game, which was good for 115th in the nation. They only gave up. 17 points per game, which helped them with their five and four record. But obviously coming off of the last few years of Lane Kiffin era, uh, that probably was a, a, a bit of a, st a stickler for FAU fans. So Shane, let you take away your thoughts on the coordinating changes. Um, uh, not surprised at all. It, it felt like it was kind of coming. And sometimes uh, they're both very good, young, talented coaches, actually my favorite. And they were holdovers for a reason. Okay, let's just make that clear. They're both really good recruiters. Um, 
Clint Trickett, though, it's a little confusing. He's listed as co-offensive coordinator. Okay, we'll start with Trickett. Trickett coached tight ends last year. And if you know anything after you both tight ends, when he was coaching them last year, one won the Mackey Award. And John Rain, the other tight end, who grad transferred to Northwestern this year, uh, shortly before the season, uh, was second team all Big Ten and was invited to the East-West Shrine game. So I think you pretty much had a definite off, uh, NFL tight end and Rain's a borderline offensive, um, I mean, uh, NFL H back tight end. Okay. You know, so yeah, Trickett did great work with those guys. Um, he was co offensive coordinator. I don't know. We, we know Tiger calls the place. Okay. Uh, I know most of the time when the press asked for the offense coordinator, Drew Merringer, who's also the receiver coach, uh, so I, I don't know exactly what the dynamic. Sometimes these, you know, as explaining, sometimes these co-offense coordinators, it, it, it is complex now. So unless you're in the meeting rooms, I know some schools will rotate calling plays, especially teams that use a lot of tempo. Like a guy will call a play, and the next guy's getting the next guy play ready, you know, based on down and distance. Um, I don't know if that was the scenario. I'm sure they had major input in the game plans, but. You know, he was also the quarterback coach. And, I mean, can't, it's kind of unfair. Can't say much for Posey's and Tronti's development this year. I thought Tronti did get better throughout the year a little bit. Uh, and, you know, Fairman was the special teams coach. And a few special teams were great the last two years and just were not great this year for some reason. Uh, you know, the kicking game was okay, but just the return game and the kick coverage game was mediocre they had a pump block um so and he was the tight ends coach you know i think it is a little unfair to fairman you know they had a transfer they had an injury um rashad smith's younger brother Rod smith who's a hugely talented kid towards acl and they had another kid that didn't make school so you know you, you roll into the season thinking you're gonna have john rain ramad smith and lou dorsey and you don't have any of those um so it's just kind of expected and I will say this though I believe and I'm going all along here every position coach on the offensive side of the ball for FAU is like under 40 so or maybe even under 35 I I don't know they're all young I would expect more experience on that side of the ball Hey, Shane, really quick, I'm glad you touched on something because obviously, you know, me not, not covering FAU specifically, you touched on something that I, I wouldn't know. Can you go and just rehash that really quick just for, I'm going to assume most FAU fans do know, but for the broader audience, I, I'm going to run it back and you tell me if I got it correct. Willie Taggart called plays uh, when media asked for offensive coordinator, it was Drew Merringer and Clint Trickett was also listed as a co-offensive coordinator. So is that kind of the, the lineup there? Yeah. I mean, Clint Trickett a couple of times when we asked for offensive coach in the offseason, but it just, I, I, what I'm saying is it really was not clear what the dynamic was between who was calling plays. Not saying it was not clear internally what the positions were, just outside. Right. You know, in the end, there's three guys. There's a head coach that's a known play caller, and there's two offensive coordinators. Only one's calling plays, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, and, and – 
and again, it's still a relatively young staff. So, um, yeah, you know, I just really wasn't sure on how that was all kind of set up and maybe it just didn't work and maybe they just want to gain a little bit more experience on it. Um, Clint Trickett's going to, both these guys are going to land on their feet. Clint Trickett, I mean, he coached the Mackey award winner, you know, as the last name has been successful at every stop. They're not, he's going to, he might even, you know, want to quote, you know, find even a better opportunity um, out of this. Yeah, like I said, I just wanted you to just go ahead and clarify that. For FIU fans listening to bring the analogy, it's kind of how Jeff Kopp is listed as a co-defensive coordinator with Jared Cruci. But, and once again, in Coach Kopp and Coach Cruci's introductory press conference, uh, Jared Cruci said that Kopp will lead and I'm just here to assist. So essentially, Jeff Kopp is, is the play caller. Jared Cruci mainly is there to assist in, in coaches' uh, safeties as well. Shane, the, the points per game, and obviously a lot of that is subjective upon you know a, a myriad of factors, but was that – how do you feel after one season, you know, with the Willie Taggart administration? I know a lot of FAU fans, at least from what I see on Twitter, I, I shouldn't say a lot. From what I see on Twitter, there's some frustration as far as this, you know, the, the sheer volume, the number of points on the scoreboard taking a, a, a step back. But just what was your assessment of that um, and, and maybe how that may change it, just in terms of an offensive, um, offensive situation, in terms of this move and just overall assessment of, of the, the lack of scoring? If I would have told you, July 1st, Eric, let me answer the question this way. Sure. Or yeah, maybe the yeah, July 1st, we'll go middle of summer. Said, Hey man, FAU's offense. And right now you're, you're thinking, wow. Okay. Chris Robinson, uh, they got TJ chase in there. You know, they got that loaded backfield. And if I would have told you FAU's offense would have been spearheaded by Nick Tronti, James Charles, and, um, Brandon Robinson, what would you have said? <laughs> uh, I would have said that sounds like a five and four team. If I'd known they're yeah, going to play nine games. It, it just, and not to describe, actually, Brandon Robinson's a really nice receiver at a nice bowl game. And I mean, the guy, you know, in the end, he was a former walk on who earned a scholarship and it's just been kind of nice and had a great bowl game against SMU a year ago and they're down some receivers. But, you know, again, you're heading into the season thinking John Mitchell. T.J. Chase, Malcolm Davidson, B.J. Emmons, uh, Chris Robinson, you know, robot, like the tight ends I just talked about. And you, you just, none of them were there. I mean, you look at that Memphis game, and it, it really took that, and it before that, but, man, you just, you, you're watching the bowl game with that kind of in conclusion of the season, you're like, this just isn't even close to being the same team it was. And it's just everything from opt-outs, just like everyone had to deal with this year, COVID, all this stuff. I think it's just a really difficult kind of situation. You know what I mean? You know, to expect them to perform, you know, just not having all this talent available. So David, I want to ask a quick transition, you know, pick up where Shane left off. You talked about just the sheer roster looking different for FAU in terms of, transfers and opt-outs and injuries and COVID. And we can't ignore the fact that FIU has had a few transfers of their own, you know, guys like Alexi Jean-Baptiste and Chris Whitaker, JJ Holloman, no longer with the program. Those guys who were highly touted transfers coming in over the past couple of years have chosen to leave the program. And I guess I'm just curious from a fan's perspective, what your thoughts are on that one. Well, there's, there's two things to it, right? Um, some, some of the players that are leaving are, you know, huge hits for us 
Uh, I mean, I know Tyson Mavea announced yesterday he's leaving. Alexi John Baptiste was huge. JJ Holloman, honestly, I don't care if I'm not nice anymore. Biggest bust in FIU transfer, his small history. It's very disappointing. But nonetheless, it's uh, we've lost a lot of players. And it's just going to see who we can, you know, replace them with in the portal. And, um, you know, we had a nice, you know, signing day, early signing day. And, and you know, we kind of have to wait and see what positions are filled on, you know, the regular signing day. But um, the transfer portal is going to be extremely important to fill starters and a lot of impact players. So, you know, I guess it's, it's almost a waiting game now. Um, so I wish some of those stayed because you know, growing to love those guys but i hope them i wish them nothing but the best at the end of the day but you know wish they could have stayed. didn't work out it looks like we just got to reload eric so, can, can i kind of jump in here and kind of explain i and i do this kind of with fau fans and just maybe so and we haven't really done this to fiu fans kind of explain how impactful and some of the rules and what shane shane you don't have to you don't have to qualify anymore. Please do, because if they hear it from me, they're not going to want to hear it. So you, you go for it. Okay. Yeah, so, go for it, Jen. And, and, and it's just sign of the times. Um, you know, we look at a school like USF, I think it's had since the end of the season or the, end of the tail end of the season on 22 kids enter the portal. Um, FIU fans, listen, I play, I've done this on the Nest podcast, so FIU fans have heard me yell, uh, talk about this and write about this enough. The biggest issue with the portal right now is you can only take 25 guys in a year. Okay. It doesn't matter if you have 10 scholarships available. Okay. If you have 75 scholarship players, if you've already taken your quota, either through high school or the portal, if you've taken 25 scholarships, okay. And even maybe kids that were gray shirted last year, right? It gets a little complex, but nonetheless, basically you can take 25 kids in a year. Every kid you lose on top of graduation and stuff like that through the portal essentially becomes an empty scholarship you can't use. And this is a huge NCAA problem. So basically, you know, if you, if 10 seniors leave and you have 15 leave in the portal and another five kids leave, for some other reason, now you have a five, you, you see there's a deficit here. Now there's just five players you cannot replace, which is kind of crazy. Um, you know, there's some debate on why the NCAA is capping it in 25. I think ultimately we can do probably a whole pot of this. I think the NCAA wants um, being, I'm kind of accusing here, but I, I think there's an element where they want 500 kids to not have a home in the portal. So they, there can be a, I told you so there's one time transfer, you know, everyone thought they were the grass was greener on the other side and most didn't end up finding a place. So, yeah. So, you know, um, you think, okay, for every guy we lose, we can go to the portal and get one guy. But again, you know, high school and portal come out of the same pot. So, uh, you know, when this happens, it's just, it could create problems of depth next year when you lose so many kids because you could be a football team playing with 71 scholarship players as opposed to 85. 
So Shane touched on something there I think is very important. I want to piggyback off of what he said. I'm going to give it back to David really quick. I'm going to piggyback off of what he said and touch on another thing. Given some of the, the you know, kind of nuances of the situation they're in because of COVID and some of the rules that have been, you know, inserted in place to adapt for this year alone, I've seen a lot of FIU fans say that, you know, there's frustration around, quote unquote, some of the best players on the team transferring, which were some of the guys who transferred in like Jean Baptiste and Holloman, as David mentioned. JJ didn't quite have a great year this year, but, you know, more talented players, so to speak, I should put it to you that way. This is something that, quite frankly, maybe not inevitable if the team went 5-0, and but you were going to have a certain amount of transfers regardless, just because of the way that the rules are set up that's going to allow kids. I mean, you're going to have guys, guys who are Power 5 talents who drop down, and because of the quote-unquote drop down to G5 five level, and because of the fact that they now have another year of eligibility, along with the, the rule when it's enacted in January as far as the one-time transfer rule, this is something that, quite frankly, I, I, I think you had to see coming. So I just want to put that in its perspective. David, do you have anything you want to add on that really quickly? No, I just, I just wanted to add that I actually didn't even know all those rules. So I'm glad, I'm glad he brought that to my attention because now yeah, I'm depressed. Now, <laughs> now, now here, let me, let me, let me solve some of your depression. One, every school in the country is in this, right? I follow the trends. There's probably six, 700 kids in the portal right now of all different levels. Okay. Most probably 75% have not found a home yet. And more kids are going to enter the portal in the next month before signing day. More kids will enter after signing day, and more kids will after and a backup linebacker at Middle Tennessee is going to transfer out thinking after the spring, thinking he deserves more playing time somewhere else. Okay. Now, the good news is where you can make up those scholarships those year is seniors can stay. So every senior that comes back will be kind of the will fill in the gaps where your um, kind of extra, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, some of your extra losses um, away. So, you know, that's how most teams are looking at it saying, well, you know, if we have 10 kids transfer out, let's just ask 10 seniors if they want to stay. And that's more likely at the G5 level. So that is the good news. Absolutely. And just, you know, before we wrap the podcast here, one of the things I think you have to take into account is when some of those, you know, guys who come from bigger programs come in, you know, maybe the situation when some of those guys don't mesh. We know we'd seen a tweet from an FIU player who said that, hey, you know, we bring in these guys and give them, I'll leave the player anonymous, you know, but you can go on Twitter and find them yourself so that we bring in these guys, give them the numbers they want, give them special treatment. And then when the times get tough, they're out the door. I'm not accusing any of the players who've chosen to transfer, who do anything nefarious. I think you should be able to transfer as you see fit, but that's just something in terms of team chemistry you maybe have to take into account. But with that being said, thank you. Happy New Year. Welcome back. It is 2021. Thank you for listening to the Shula Bowl podcast. As always, you can find us at Shula Bowl Pod on Twitter. You can find Shane on Twitter at Marinelli Shane. You can find David on Twitter at Mr. Handel321. When he returns from the King's vacation, I'm sure he'll be happy to join us from a location in which his, uh, his Wi-Fi is better. But as always, you know, Shane and Ira is repping the Sunshine State. We're not looking to go too far, unlike David, who's jet-setting. With that being said, thank you for listening. 
Happy football <laughs> watching. Enjoy the offseason. Uh, we'll be back with a, a couple special uh, podcasts throughout the offseason. As we did last year, we're going to try to talk to a couple former FAU and FIU players. We have uh, Noah Curtis lined up, going to grab a couple others from last year's team and from previous years to come on the Enjoying the Shula Bowl podcast to bring up the monotony of the offseason. So stay with us, everyone. Please stay safe, and we'll catch you next time, everyone. <laughs>